0: Welcome to the Higher Ed Jobs Podcast, 2023 year-end edition. I'm Andy Himmel, Chief Operating Officer and one of the co-founders of Higher Ed Jobs.
1: And I'm Kelly Sherwin, the Director of Editorial Strategy. Today, I'm really excited that we have our entire editorial team together. We have Monica Siren, our Assistant Director of Editorial Strategy, Research and Coordination, and Leah Jackson, our Assistant Director of Editorial Strategy and Staff Writer. So glad you guys are here with us. Happy to be
2: here. Yeah, thank you for having us.
0: And we were all really excited that we were going to be able to be all together. And normally, when we're all sitting in our normal chairs, we're at home. We're in three different states if we're not traveling. But we were all going to be in one place, and we are in one place. We're all in Chicago, except I'm not in the studio because I have COVID. So basically, I have you three that I get to look at through the wonderful world of Zoom.
1: Yeah, life kind of throws some curveballs at you and, and uh, pivoting is, is, is necessary.
0: I am glad that we did get the opportunity to do this and I'm sad not to be with you all. But I don't know if we want to go too far into this because I think it's it's a, a little bit of kind of what we've done every year. But if you haven't joined us for one of these in previous years, what we try to do here is choose our favorite cases from the year, and each choose one, because we all have many. And uh, would you guys be okay if I, I kind of started off with, with mine? Go for it. I kind of wanted to start off because I actually thought that this was a very good topic to start with before we start discussing and debating, is the word I'd use, some of the, the other articles, which is an article that's called Rules for Fair Fighting at Work. I thought maybe we should set some ground rules on how our good friend Dan Griffith wrote a piece back in June about how to work together in a way when sometimes we can't work out our differences, which I guess one of the reasons this article resonated strongly with me is because this topic in general seems to be a thread not for just higher education, but for where society is today. We have a place that we get to nowadays where we might not be able to see eye to eye with the person next to us, and we might need to be able to live with it. And Dan's advice here, I thought, was really, really, really good. And the first thing he put in there, and I think it's the most important part, which is take responsibility for your actions, reactions, and emotions. And I really, particularly on that topic, think that folks really should be in touch with their emotions when they know that there's conflict, particularly when there's conflict where you know it's going to be unresolved and you're going to have to work with others. Understand that emotions are not something that you can act on. Emotions are absolutely something you're going to have, but acting on your emotions in these instances are going to make the situation worse. And cross the line from being professional and not seeing eye to eye to being unprofessional and being disagreeable as a team member. And if you're in one of those situations, being aware of your own emotions and understanding you need to set those aside, work through them, don't expect yourself not to have them, is probably the best place for folks to go. So I looked at this piece and The one part I took away from it, and I tried to look at it from both somebody who manages people and somebody who wants to be a good teammate, that from a management perspective, if one of the topics that you're disagreeing with one of your coworkers on is a professional one, and you don't necessarily have the clarity to resolve what the direction is from your leadership, it's incumbent upon your leadership to let you know, hey, I think A, my team member thinks B, what is it that you want to do? And then at that point, once that's clear what is to be done, everybody should be pulling from the same side of the rope in the direction that should be done. That's not always the case. And if you find yourself in a situation where leadership's not doing that, I think really starting to strategically think about how you approach collaboratively, probably with your teammate who you're not necessarily seeing eye to eye with and asking professionally of your supervisors what you should be doing is probably a great first step. And that that was another piece of advice that Dan had offered, which is talk directly with the other person before going to others for help. Find out what it is and make sure you have that direction. In some of these instances, many topics today put people in their various camps, They see a position one way, other people see a position another way. If it's unrelated to work, I think those are instances where there's enough things to work through in work. If you're finding yourself not necessarily agreeing with a coworker on a subject that's outside of work, but you find yourself coming back to it, I actually think this article is just a must read. So I don't know if other people have thoughts on it, but this this was kind of a, a place where you know, it cut across everything else that we did. Like, no matter what you might see coming at you professionally, personally, from society, understanding how to do this just seems like not only is it a good skill professionally to have, it's just going to increase your day to day happiness in the world and with the people around you. Remember, if you disagree with somebody, you're not disagreeing with them, you're disagreeing with an idea or a thought that they have. There's lots of good in people try to seek that out.
1: Thanks, Andy. You summarized that really well. And thanks, Dan, for writing that article. Good pick, Andy. So there's there's so many things that you touched on that I agree with. And I like that you said that oftentimes people are in one camp over the other. And yeah, it could be at the Thanksgiving table. It could be at work. And I might believe something and this other person might believe something different. And also like what you're saying, like emotions are, are there, but we can't necessarily always react on them. I think the word that stuck out to me when I, was, when I was thinking of you explaining this article was respect. Even though I'm in this camp and the other person, my coworker, might be in the other camp, we still, as humans, have to respect one another. I might not always agree with the, the process, the thought, the, the idea that you have, but as humans, as coworkers, as colleagues, we do need to respect that we let's agree to disagree on that and move on. Because you don't want to ruin a work relationship. You don't want to ruin a friendship over whatever it might be. I don't know how you guys feel in the studio. I don't want to speak for everyone, but I think the word respect is kind of what jumps out to me.
2: Yeah. Monica here. Um, I'm going to call myself out a little bit on this because I think especially with, within your team and your dynamics, it kind of changes depending on where you are in your career and, and what stage you're at. And I'm I would consider myself pretty early in my career. And I've, I think in the last year, I've really learned how to navigate those emotions. There'll be times where we're as a team in a meeting and I have to vocally say like, sorry, I'm just frustrated. And I think that actually sets the tone a lot for communicating with you guys and being like, okay, like this is a a trigger point for Monica or whatnot. And I think that way it just builds a common understanding that when you move forward from that conversation, you can say, okay, I don't want to talk about it right now. It's a little frustrating. It's like a trigger point. Let's set it aside for a later meeting and let's get back to it. So I think in that sense too, like adding on to that, all of those perspectives, like adding in being okay with addressing what's frustrating you in your work environment in the moment I think is really healthy because as a young professional, I wasn't taught that I was kind of told to like, be a good professional and go to your meetings and put a smile on and just bottle it up. But I've learned in this last year, thanks to leadership with you guys. Okay, if you have a problem, let's go. Like, let's talk about it. Let's address it. So that's just my take from my reflection of the year on that. That's awesome.
1: And you're tapping into and I know Andy knows I'm a huge fan of emotional intelligence. So yes. yay! <laughs> thanks, Bon. That was great.
2: Yeah, I love what you said about being honest and upfront about what you're feeling. I think, yeah. I think that really talks to what Dan is talking about in his article. And I love what Andy said about remembering that it's the idea that you disagree with, not the person. Yeah. I love what you said about finding the good in people because I think remembering that can help you find a way forward.
0: I'm actually going to call out two co workers by name who I've worked with for 27 years. That would be John Eikenberry and Eric Bluster. The times that we've disagreed is quite often, but the number of times that we agree and when we really agree, pretty amazing. And sometimes seeking the truth of why they're disagreeing with me for my sake and understanding what that is and knowing that they firmly believe what they firmly believe is a huge part of the process of understanding where my blind spots are in a particular topic and continuing to seek it. And I'm not sure we've ever gotten to a point where we're like, oh, it's pretty easy just disagreeing with one another. But I will say that I can honestly say for the past five to 10 years, we've really gotten to a point where we understand the process. We understand when we're in it. We're understanding when we do need to disagree. We understand that there's some topics we're never gonna see eye to eye on and respecting it. So uh, I know mentioning them by name sounds a little harsh, but it's been the three of us for the past 27 years making a lot of decisions together and knowing that we're not gonna always see eye to eye is not necessarily a bad thing. It's actually been a good thing in most instances for us. It just doesn't always make the process easy. So, well, I'm excited to hear what you all have as far as your pieces.
2: I'll go next with my article for the year. So I've selected the article titled Promoting Rural Inclusion in Higher Education by Dr. David Kurz and Dr. Christine Wilkinson. There's a number of reasons that I, I really connect to this piece. And I guess the first part is that I currently live in a very rural area, a small town in southern Minnesota. So I have that, that sense of how this really impacts the people that live in rural areas. But also with my academic research and my PhD research, you know, I did focus on AI ethics in agriculture and looking at STEM fields and how that's being changed by the rural space and the rural academics that are out there doing STEM work and environmental science and all of that. So I think there's a lot of space here. And I just kind of wanted to set the stage a little bit because I think there is sometimes we forget how different rural life is compared to like where we are now in Chicagoland. We still use cash where I live, you know, and here you might not even use your card, you just use your phone. So there's these little differences with life that I think If you're living in a metropolitan area, like you forget that there's places where you go and you can't use your card. Like this only takes cash and these little things that uh, the lifestyle is just very different. And in this article, they say, for the academy, rural inclusion promises expanded perspectives and new ways of knowing, such as rural values on the environment that may be underrepresented in urban areas. And this really speaks true to me throughout my research. You know, I would go to these big academic Conferences in metropolitan areas and very rarely was the rural voice there to say what's actually happening in small, small areas, small towns and agriculture perspective. So for me, I think this is a growing space where it is like, Hey, like to have that well rounded perspective in whatever field you're in, let's consider the small rural institutions and what's going on there. And also just being considerate of the. Access to resources and community resources in rural areas is really important, especially for student life. I mean, say we're here in this big metropolitan area, you have access to so many community resources and campus safety resources. The city police, you know, you might have a suburban area with lots of different safety resources and in a rural area, you might have just your local police department or your local food shelf or your local, like, you know, these, these aspects of rural life that are just very different and do impact a rural campus a lot differently. The article also says, in particular, we suggest that higher education can benefit from rural recruitment and training, co-production of knowledge with rural communities and reshaped academic advancement standards. Through these pathways, we can expand conceptions of diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice promote justice and encourage mutually beneficial academic rural partnerships. So the growth here for I would love to see in the new year and, and beyond is really having more communication between the metropolitan universities and the small rural universities, bringing those resources together, the opportunities together and, you know, recognizing that for some people, the rural institution is their next step in life, and they're in that springboard forward into a better future. So, offering the metropolitan access to like different resources would just be great to see if we saw that you know kind of come together more in the new year. So, that's kind of my thoughts on that piece. So, thank you, Dr. Kurz and Dr. Wilkinson, for writing that for us. It was great.
1: Yes, thank you again to, to, the, to the writers for that, and thanks, Mon, for bringing that up. That that was that as awesome. And as you were reviewing it and recapping it. The lens of DEI you know definitely came in and I think we have to remember not only at higher ed job, like our, our one of our goals is to make sure that we are not highlighting just the the large institution in a you know urban area but and don't assume like you were saying don't assume that everyone is at a, a large institution um, in a metropolitan area and we have the same resources but we we want to highlight community colleges we want to highlight smaller institutions And all the things that you you referenced were so important. So that was a great summary. Fantastic.
0: It's interesting to me that the writers used diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice. I'd also love to put that belongingness word in there in this discussion, because I think these efforts are about people feeling they're in the right spot. So from from a faculty or staff member perspective, Feeling that you're at the right institution that values you and you can make a difference is what everybody's seeking. And part of that is finding the right community that reflects you and what your life journey is all about in that. I also think it's interesting as we look in academia and you kind of think about that, that sitting in Chicago, we're in one of the largest metropolitan areas in the U.S., but There's a lot of places where it is considered a metropolitan area and a city as opposed to a rural community where a college is. Colleges in many instances are in the quote-unquote biggest city of their region. I was actually just a few weeks ago along the Atlantic coast stopping in some colleges and cities I'd say would reflect that. They were definitely cities, but the rural communities that surround that The multiple rural communities that surround those cities are a big part of it. And thinking a little bit about our other main offices in State College, Pennsylvania, State College is a good-sized city. It's a very good-sized city. But there's a lot of communities where a lot of our coworkers live in that are considered more rural. And understanding that the reflection of this campus you might be on might have a, a mix of that, I think, is important to remember. Even in a lot of Chicago institutions, you might see that. It's not too far to get into the more rural parts of Illinois or the more rural parts of Wisconsin or Indiana, where here in the quote-unquote tri-state area, you can definitely get there. And it's, I want to say, slightly over an hour from here in a small town called Sheffield, Illinois, a smaller community that had a a community-wide effort to save its grocery store because the man who had run it, a second generation, had ran it his entire life, wanted to retire. And it required the community to do that and how important it was for that. And that was probably no more than 100 miles from Chicago. So when you're kind of looking at that, remember the community you may be in, you may consider urban or a city community, there's a lot of inclusion work to be done to make sure that we understand that the, that, that community most likely is not going to be ubiquitous.
2: Right. hundred percent.
1: Well, thanks, Monica, for highlighting your article. Leah, do you want to take a stab at
0: Join us story? next time for part two of our year-end roundup. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to talking next time.